HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Cowgirl Creamery, makers of some of the best organic cheeses. Learn more at cowgirlcreamery.com. Have you ever wanted to open a restaurant, launch your own food brand, or dive into the ever-changing world of food media? Well, buckle up. Join us for Aspiration to Action, a special live podcast on Monday, June 3rd at Haven's Kitchen in Manhattan. Zara Tangora and Bretton Scott, hosts of Life's a Banquet, will lead us through tales of the good, the bad, and the transformative. Featuring Food World innovators and HRN hosts Dana Cowan, host of Speaking Broadly, Eli Sussman, host of The Line, along with his brother Max, and Allison Kane, host of In the Sauce, in conversation with Jenny Britton-Bauer. Light refreshments will be provided by Paris Gourmet, Wolfer Estate Vineyard, and To Honey. Get your tickets before they sell out by going to heritageradionetwork.org slash action. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope they are all listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, we have a very fun guest. We have a fellow food tech journalist, media expert, consultant, podcaster, we have Mike Wolf, who is the publisher of The Spoon, which some of you may know as one of the best resources for food tech and food news and cooking. They also are the Smart Kitchen Summit, which is great also. So, Mike, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. I feel like you've oversold me a little bit. You, you said I was fun. We'll, we'll wait to see on that. But well, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be great. Well, I, I think you're fun because... What listeners don't know is that I do, I have a little prep routine that I do with guests prior to the show. One involves a phone call where we have a nice talk about what we're going to talk about on the air, sort of a dress rehearsal. The other is that I ask people for information, their bio, the website, their social media handles and photos. And all of Mike's photos involved like beer and cookies. So when you ask a, a person for their headshot and they send you a picture of their face on a cookie or a picture of themselves in front of a brewery, then you know they're probably going to be a good time. I felt like it was on brand, and I really wanted that face on the cookie to work. It was just a little too boring. But right, uh, that need... was one of the highlights of my year at CES to get my face printed on a cookie. 
<laughs> that's really that's really a lot of fun. You should think about doing this again for the conference this year. I might do that. We did it at CES. So we had a, a food tech event, the only food tech event at CES, and we had this company called Selfie. And that was the highlight of the show. We also had, speaking of beer, people printing faces on beer. So there's another company that was, that was doing that as well. So, so printing, uh, it was very, it was a lot of fun. Printing faces on beer, is that similar to when they put an image onto a, a latte or a cappuccino? Yeah, it's printing the same on technology, the technology, basically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike and, and the crew at the Spoon have been going back and forth for some time and talking and following each other and talking about how to get someone on to Tech Bytes. And it's been a long time, and they're actually based in the West Coast. So that's kind of a problem to get someone in the studio. So this is a little bit of a pilot program for the show where we have someone calling in, which we typically don't do. So it's a little exciting. We have a new show slot and some new show stuff. So we'll see how it goes for this uh, summer season. So the impet- I appreciate you being experimental and letting me, <laughs> let me dial in. <laughs> so far, so good, as long as we don't have a crash or a blackout. And you're on a landline, right? Yep. Yep. See, sometimes landlines are still good for stuff. So recently, just last week, The Spoon published the Food Tech 25, and... It is a list of the 25 companies creating the future of food, but right now. So, Mike, why don't you tell us about this annual list and how it came to be and how easy or difficult it was to cull it down to 25? Yeah, I mean, I I think what we do at The Spoon and with our events is we spend the year just kind of traversing uh, the stories around the world. Uh, in different spaces, whether that's restaurants or in the home or like grocery store products or future food, and really just hearing the stories and, 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 and finding things that are new and that are exciting. And one of the things we know that whenever you create a list, they can be very polarizing, but this is a list we like to say is just our list that us as a collective, the editors here at The Spoon, get together and say, what were the most interesting stories and the companies doing the most interesting things um, on, on kind of the cutting edge around food innovation and food tech. And, and we came up with these 25 companies. And they really do span a number of different spaces uh, along what I would call the food uh, value chain or the meal journey, right? Whether it's like the grocery store or in the restaurant, uh, creating new types of food. We really, we really have companies that represent all of that and, and that are doing the most interesting things. And so um, whether it's, you know, the only repeat company, by the way, was Amazon. Um, and it's really hard not to have Amazon because whether it's like they're creating future robots that will, or drones that deliver food to your home, or they were really kind of at the, the leading edge around this kind of cashierless, humanless retail uh, around grocery stores, or just the smart home innovation they're doing, um, they're just really kind of on the forefront there. Um, and then there's just a lot of other companies, whether it's Impossible or or Calix doing like CRISPR-based ingredients that we just thought were interesting that we thought could really change the way we eat and, and the food experience. Well, I think one of the interesting things just about the definition of how you're creating the list is the very specific impact on the meal journey. And I think by making it the meal journey, that really humanizes it and points it directly to 
people and consumers because everybody's eating meals. I think sometimes when we get into the food tech space and we're talking about solving you know, global problems or food waste, we're talking conceptually about alternate proteins and things like that, we tend to commodify things or processize things, and then it takes it away, I think, from a listener or a reader connecting the dot from that to what they're going to have for dinner. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, when I looked at, like, for example, the landscape, when I created my event back in 2015, you know, you had food tech events out there that most of the time started around ag tech and kind of centered around that. My experience and my, my career has largely been around evaluating consumers and how their behavior is changing and, and whether it's watching them uh, change the way that they consume entertainment. I, you know, I wrote a book around the, the Connected Home in 2001, um, you know, how that's ultimately changing their, their experience in the home or what they're doing in restaurants. That's really what I've always kind of felt was interesting to me. And, and there's this idea of the meal journey, like three times a day you're making this decision and you're deciding to, to either order food with an app or like cook food or use an Instant Pot. And that's what's really interesting to me. And I think that's drastically changing, certainly when you look over a 10-year time horizon. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the list this year. Was Amazon assumed to be on the list? Did you talk about it? Did you just put it up there at the beginning because you did it alphabetically? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things you almost didn't want to have uh, Amazon because it's almost too easy, right? Um, but when you look at the kind of the weight uh, and the number of different spaces in which they touch your life uh, and the impact that they could have, it was really, we, we ultimately decided as a collective editorial crew that we couldn't not have them. Um, and, and part of it is like, you know, you can, you can look at a company and say, okay, what have you done for me lately? We, we tend to do that a little bit because like we had a lot of companies last year that we didn't have this year because they hadn't necessarily done anything necessarily new uh, since you know we really wrote about it last year, but Amazon continues to innovate at a pace that sometimes could be somewhat, quite frankly, astounding. Um, in just whether it's just watching the patents that they file, and there's always like ten patents that they've issued almost a week, um, or just the ways in which they iterate over an idea, um, like and putting together the collective assets that they have. A good example is like Smart Home, right? So they've been doing Smart Home for uh, you know four or five years. They've had Alexa. But they glued together these different ideas of like, okay, we have a smart home doorbell. Uh, we have Alexa. We have food delivery. Why don't we glue these things all together and put it together for a collective experience and let people order food, maybe even deliver the food into their home, or let's deliver food maybe into their, into their trunk of their car if they're parked at work. So it's just these different things that they continue to do and innovate on that just really kind of made them almost have to be on, have to be on the list. It's exhilarating and kind of frightening at the same time some of the things that these modern home technologies are doing. It's not specifically food-related, for sure. I mean, Alexa and something listening to you in your home all the time, the automated things. I, I, I don't know if it's generational, because I'm coming from a generation where we didn't have that. I don't know if my nieces and nephews and people who are, you know, two years old now will find that very commonplace and not feel uh, anxious about the big brother element to that. But um, 
It is fascinating innovations. Are they all great? I don't know, but they're probably coming whether we like it or not, right? Yeah, and it's it's also what I think a company like Amazon does to catalyze innovation across the industry, right? So if it weren't for them, you have to wonder what Kroger would be doing. They're also on the list. Or, or Walmart with their innovation initiatives, like around store number eight. Um, I think I think industries tend to get um, somewhat kind of lazy or they didn't tend to kind of be almost catatonic in a sense from a from a stasis perspective. And I think what one of the good things about Amazon is they, they almost force other parts and other companies within the ecosystem to innovate. And I think that's one of the things that we, we like about them. So what was one of the biggest surprises on the list for you? Well, there's this little company called Yokai Express um, that Chris Albrecht, the managing editor of the Spoon, really wanted on there. And at first I thought, well, they're just too small. I mean, it's, it's a vending machine. But one of the things I've seen and really noticed over the past years, we've really seen an acceleration in, in this idea of like just quite simply vending machines or like what you can do around fresh food with vending machines. And Yokai Express is this basically machine where you can go, you can order hot noodle soup anywhere, 24 hours a day, around the clock in an airport and uh, kind of on the side of the street. And it really represented a couple of different trends. A, this idea of just humanless kind of instant anywhere food and the idea that we want more fresh food, uh, piping hot ramen, not necessarily like a, this isn't cup of soup. This is actually really good ramen. Uh, the recipes were developed by a Michelin star chef and it's really kind of almost a robotic type of creation of food. So the combination of automation, robotics, and this advancement of vending machines, like which I think are having a moment. I do think vending machines are having a moment um, beyond just like this idea of like hitting it and pressing a button and having Fritos drop into the, the bottom of the tray. You're seeing really interesting stuff, really interesting vending machines that create fresh food in really interesting spaces. There was an article on Bloomberg last year about a vending machine for fresh meat at a butcher. I think it's Applebee meat. I think it's in New York, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Is, is the vending machine trend new for us in the United States? Vending machines have been a mainstay of computer of, of commuter and urban life in Tokyo and Japan for quite some time. Are we just now getting the technology here like so many things? We, we like to think often that I think in the United States that we're very advanced, but when you travel and see things in other countries, often we find that or maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love going to Tokyo. One of the things I love about Tokyo is just like there's so many great different vending machines, but I think it's a little bit different. I think there's this, what I would say, this macro trend that I write about a little bit is this idea of like more intelligence moving to the edge of the network. And it's basically an idea that comes from computer technology, this idea of intelligent edge. And another company on the, on the list is this company called Bellwether, which is basically this automated uh, craft coffee machine that can sit in in, in airports or, or different locations. And I just think you're seeing more of these, these, these different machines that make food, whether it's through robotics or automation, some understanding of what you want and the ability to craft food in a, in a better way. Um, that's just a trend I think we're seeing. Another good example is like BreadBot. We didn't really write about BreadBot in the list, but it was a company that was kind of a hit at CES. It was kind of stole the show in a way. And it's this idea of like decentralization of like creation of food, like in a factory or in a restaurant and actually pushing it to the edge of the, of, of the network. And you could craft really great, delicious bread 
on the on the grocery store store floor without having it behind the scenes, without having to do it in a factory. So I think that just this evolution of technology allows you to do things more hyper-local. And that's one of the, the trends I think that drove a lot of the companies in our top 25. Interesting. So that the old adage of uh, think local for global. Yeah, I think so. It's a generational thing too, right? I mean, I think certainly I'm Gen X and, you know, I, I tend to, I'm fairly fixed in my ways. Um, but I, I certainly think when I look at my kids and they're, they're, they're Gen Y and certainly millennials, they want to eat and experience things locally. They want uh, certainly to know provenance of their food. They want to have a relationship with a food creator. And I think that's why, like, for example, um, you see companies and restaurant chains like Sweet Greens really in ascendance. Um, the companies that have ethos, right? If you look, go to Sweet Greens website, they actually have their ethos on their website. And it's kind of, it seems kind of cheesy in a way, but it's, I think it's very aligned with what the trends are and what the generational shifts are where, where younger people have values and they're eating with their values and, and that's driving their choices. And I think companies like Sweet Green are really attuned to that. Would Sweet Green be on the list if not for Steve Case? I think so. I mean, I think just the, the stuff that they've done uh, that I think are interesting, a good example is right. They, they worked with Dan Barber to literally develop this custom vegetable um, this, this custom squash. So they're, you know, I think that's really interesting. I think they really work closely with farmers. They kind of go to the source of the, the, the breeding of the food. And that's just this one example. They, they raised $300 million in, in November of last year. And they're just investing heavily in technology. Um, they're investing, they hired uh, the head of automation from a company called uh, lab to fab So they're going to be starting to invest in robotics so it's almost like this dichotomy of like values-based food, getting to the source of, of the farmer, but also investing heavily in technology. That's just this really interesting combination that that company makes to me. Well, it is perhaps a, a combination of the very young founders who maybe really yep. have a sense of, as you were saying earlier, what the younger millennial demographic wants. And then they're connecting with Steve Case, who was one of the early investors and one of their advisors who obviously knows his way around technology. Right. And he almost represents, what's interesting is he represents what I would say is like, almost like internet 1.0. Absolutely. But he certainly kind of like, not a knows little bit, all- actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like maybe you have mail. Face of it, maybe the face of the first internet. Yes, I think so. Uh, 1.0. Think that's right. So, yes, absolutely. But certainly has enough money and knows where to invest. And I think still kind of spots trends well. Well, definitely, and and is the type of person who could create a trend, also possibly. Some people have that power. If I they agree. See an idea and and really want to move something forward. They have the ability to move the needle. There are a few people like that. I think he's one of them, especially in the tech space. We are going to find out who is helping us move the needle on Heritage Radio Network. Did you know that we are a five hundred one c three nonprofit? Did you know we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and companies who underwrite our programming like this one? Stay with us.
This episode is brought to you by Cowgirl Creamery, makers of some of the best organic cheeses. Founded by Sue Conley and Peggy Smith, Cowgirl Creamery has been awarded countless times for their products ranging from aged cheeses like Mount Tam, Red Hawk, and Wagon Wheel, to fresh cheeses like Fromage Blanc and Clabbered Cottage Cheese. For more information, head to cowgirlcreamery.com. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Do you have a really interesting piece of food tech that you help create? Are you an innovator? Are you the founder of a company and you think you'd like to share your story on the air with our listeners? Well, get in touch with us. We are very interactive. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on social media, TechBytesHRN, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us here on Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday, live at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And after that, on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, all that. Today, we are talking with Mike Wolf, who is the publisher of The Spoon, which is really one of the top, top resources websites, newsletters, podcasts for food tech news. He also created the Smart Kitchen Summit back in 2015, which is a very auspicious year for food tech because that is when Tech Bites first went on the air in January 2015. Mike, tell us a little bit about what the Smart Kitchen Summit is and what's going to be happening at it this year. Yeah, so we created it in 2015 with this idea of like really wanting to understand what was happening in the consumer kitchen. I had seen around 2013, 2014, that there was interesting innovation happening in the consumer kitchen. You saw the rise of companies like Sancerre. Um, you saw what Dave Arnold was doing, obviously, who's a part of the Heritage Radio Network. Um, you saw Anova and these other their companies doing things with precision cooking. It was kind of like this rise of the modern cuisine movement here in Seattle and, and certainly around the country. And, and we saw just things like Amazon doing things like Alexa and starting to reimagine what it can mean to shop for food and what that can mean. And we just wanted to explore that because we thought that the industry had never gotten together collectively and had a conversation about what it means to reinvent cooking, to digitize food and explore that. And, and it took off and it succeeded kind of beyond what my expectations were. And we've grown every, every year since um, this is year five. We've grown to two full days. We've moved to a bigger venue this year. And when we talk about this idea of like really examining the disruption and reinvention of the meal journey, we really are doing that. So we, we're having uh, restaurant chains come to talk about what, what it means. Food delivery companies uh, will have companies like you know Amazon and, and, and Walmart come to talk about grocery shopping and just talking about like what is happening in the kitchen. Will our consumers' behavior changing? What are the new kitchen appliances and devices? What happens when they get connected? What are the services that people use? And ultimately, um, what the food is that we're eating, how is that changing, whether it's plant-based or you know, will we see things like CRISPR and gene editing change the food we're eating? So really trying to become this, uh, really what I would say, the, the preeminent food tech event in North America is really what our goal is. So tell us what is on deck for this year that you're really excited about. Yeah, so somebody is there somebody I'm, coming a final panel that you got to bring to life? 
special guest yeah. you've been stalking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have like what I what I like is like we we really like to explore what's happening in different regions, right? So one of the the interesting speakers that just committed was a guy named Mario Piper, who's basically runs all the digital efforts for for BSH Appliances, which is the biggest appliance company in Europe. And having him on on stage, also having the uh, the CEO of Miele, Marcus Miele, come to talk about what they're doing. So I think that'll be fun to talk about, like what these large appliance makers out of Europe are doing, and compare that with what what large appliance makers are doing in North America. Um, we have uh, companies like Amazon and Walmart coming to, to to participate and kind of exploring what's happening with the future of retail. I think is exciting. One of the things we're really exploring this year is the future of food. Um, we write a lot about that at the Spoon, and so whether that's new plant-based proteins or or alternative uh, types of meat, cell-grown meat, I think that's really exciting. So we're looking at exploring that as well. So there's just all these different themes in which we really want to explore, and we're really going to mix it up from a format perspective. So having workshops and kind of more in-depth conversations is one of the things we're really working on, and also really facilitating interaction among interest groups, whether that's people who want to uh, explore what, uh, you know, whether it's 3D food printing or alternative proteins or, or kitchen-based commerce. We're going to really kind of facilitate and, and allow those folks to connect with one another. There are so many, so many food tech, food innovation conferences happening right now. It seems that on a global scale, food innovation that would have really just been the interest of the food media or maybe the scientific community has really crossed over into a social and political space because of the urgency of some of the larger food crises. So waste, uh, the production chain, the delivery chain, there seems to be a big merging of different groups that are interested in solving problems and innovation. And so many of them tend to center around food now. Is it surprising to you to find that what was once sort of the provenance of, of sort of like geeky foodies is now become something that, you know, has international conferences in Italy that people like Obama go to? Hmm. I mean, I think uh, when I heard uh, Pat Brown speak at, at CS this year, he really articulated it well. Um, and he talks a lot about this idea, and he's the CEO of, Impo uh, of Impossible Foods. This idea that we – so much of our focus tends to be on things like, okay, let's re reduce carbon emission uh, by, like, reducing the amount of p cars people drive, get people onto mass transit, uh, let's move to electronic vehicles and see what Elon Musk is doing. But you can make such impact by really rethinking the food system, moving towards more plant-based alternatives – Think about all the, the missions and, and the, the resources we put into creating food to feed 7, 8 billion people on the planet. It's really a massive amount of resources. So if we can rethink that, I think that's really interesting. Also, quite frankly, the established food businesses uh, that and those marketplaces that have developed over the past couple of centuries um, are being radically changed by more direct relationships with consumers, right? So if you would think about how disintermediated and uh, you know, the, the traditional food producers have been um, and how disconnected they've been with end consumers. But now you see companies having direct relationships with consumers, whether that's something kind of futuristic like Soylent or, or what, whatever. You know, last year, I think, or two years ago, Nestle created their own like restaurant 
or like dessert delivery box that went direct to consumer. It's the first time ever that Nestle had had that kind of direct relationship with their products like Toll House. So I think that what's happening is there's more direct relationships that food brands are having with consumers enabled by more modern technology. And that's quite frankly changing the game. And you're seeing companies like Campbell's and others struggle, quite frankly, because of this. But what it also does is presents an opportunity, whether it's like an appliance manufacturer or a retailer or a food company, to have that direct relationship, go into the consumer kitchen with software and technology, and maybe establish entirely new businesses and change their role, like rethink what their role is with the consumer. Maybe you are um, a company that provides hardware to them. Maybe you are helping them decide what to eat for, for their dinner. Maybe you provide them a subscription meal service. So I think there's, there's just so many different ways in which we can touch the consumer that is changing, that is forcing us to have new conversations. And that's why the industry needs to get together and have these conversations. And that's what we really do with the Smart Kitchen Summit. So many interesting things in, in what you just said. One is the sort of juxtaposition of companies being able to connect more directly with consumers like the Nestle box and with apps and direct communication and emails and people in one way are much more open to hearing directly from the brands that they like and trust and are interested in social media, Instagram, all those kinds of things. People feel like they have a real connection to brands when they're engaging with them on that level. On the flip side of that though, Amazon and the smart home almost removes brand from the equation if you say Alexa order chocolate chips. And if you have, you know, a smart home entity doing your shopping for you and you are not brand specific, you're going to get chocolate chips. But I have no idea who's actually going to make the decision as to which chocolate chips you're going to get. So in some instances, the technology is, is completely removing the brand or even the consumer's thought about including a brand in what they're purchasing, which is very interesting and is something that they've been talking about in the advertising world for a few years, that where is the consumer making the decision about which brand they're going to purchase? It used to be the consumer was in the you know supermarket aisle and looking at things, and now they're not in the aisle anymore, and now they may not even be saying, you know, I want Nestle Toll House chocolate chips. They might just say, Alexa, buy the ingredients for chocolate chip cookies. I completely agree. I mean, I think that's the great struggle, right? If you're a food brand, <laughs> you know that the, the bulk of your online volume may go through Amazon, but at the same time, are you getting in bed with the enemy, right? So I think it's like this conversation that the industry is having um, that they really need to kind of look in the mirror, look at what their strategies are, and, and, and understand, is this the right choice for us? I mean, if you look at like the television market, and I think there's some good analogs there. You know, I really followed the transition towards online television for very closely. And around 2008, 2009, you may remember a bunch of these studios and, and content producers got together and created this company called Hulu, which was essentially their effort to say, hey, rather than put our, our, our future and our fate in the hands of an Amazon or an Apple, let's get together and create our own collective future. And you saw companies like Fox get together with Disney and, and et cetera. And I've actually argued that maybe at some point the food industry needs to do that, right? Create essentially what is a Hulu because I think if you, if you if you put your hands in the fate of someone like Amazon, um, they have their own agenda. Um, they may ultimately create a product that is essentially the, the same as your product, but it's it's at 20% the cost. I mean, they certainly do that with, with some commodity-based food products. 
They're certainly doing it with certain commodities. So I think food brands need to think long and hard about what their go-to-market strategy is, what their online, offline, and kind of like multi-channel strategy is. And do they need to radically rethink and maybe even think of who their partners are? Do they need a partner with a company that 15 years ago was, was their, their biggest competitor? Um, so I think those are the types of things and the conversations these brands, these brands are having. It's so interesting. It's such an interesting time um, with all these different things happening. To your point earlier, talking about older companies and legacy brands not being able to keep up and innovate, it's worth noting one of the legacy brands that's on your list is McCormick Spice Company, which is over 100 years old, which is pretty impressive. Um, you selected them because they're partnering with IBM and using AI. Yeah, it was it was kind of surprising um, that they were on the list. But like when I talked to um, very very their, surprising to me. When I, I talked to the little spice officer, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, most of the companies had been talking about using AI to kind of rethink flavor. Were not these established old school brands? I mean, there's been a lot of startups kind of talking about this idea. Um, analytical flavor systems, for example, is one. But McCormick has a pretty good shelf share, pretty good mind, mind share from consumers still. And they've been working with IBM to develop this kind of future flavor platform for about three years in stealth. And then they finally announced it this year. So we just thought that was uh, an interesting move for a big old school spice company. Uh, we kind of applauded that. And when, they, when I talked to them about how they could accelerate development of new flavors, like something that may take years could move towards months. I thought that was really interesting. So we'll keep be keeping an eye on that. But I just thought that was a, a big, bold move. I thought it was a, a good partner for them. And it, because of all that, it merited, uh, collectively, we thought it merited their placement on the list. The list is very interesting. For, for people who want to check it out and follow along, or, you know, there's both a podcast and a article on the Spoon website. You want to go to thespoon.tech, is that right? Yeah. Spoon.tech, correct. Which is a great nifty little handle, thespoon.tech. And you can also find information there about the Smart Kitchen Summit. If you want to go directly to the Smart Kitchen Summit, that is smartkitchensummit.com. It's going to be happening in October, the 7th to the 8th, in Seattle, Washington. And it's a really jam-packed two days of amazing speakers and, you know, really interesting things. Uh, I'm sure, Mike, if you could only go to one conference this year, you would say go to the Smart Kitchen Summit. Go to Summit. Smart Kitchen Summit. <laughs> <laughs> and if TechBytes listeners are interested in going, you can purchase tickets and register online now. You can also get 25% off if you use the code TechBytes, which is great. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. Of course. So last thoughts on your Food Tech 25. The interesting thing is that the future of food is, is today. You know, I almost feel like it's one of those uh, World's Fair presentations. You know, tomorrow is today. The future of food is here. Were there any companies that you couldn't put on the list, that you fought for, that didn't make it, or things that are nascent and might be on the list for next year that you're keeping your eye on? Who are the outliers? Well, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, when I I think a lot about generational shifts and the habits that are forming in the kitchen, and you know, the data that I look at really shows that millennials and Gen Y really do like to be in the kitchen, and we've been waiting for like 
their kitchen appliance, their product. And there's a lot of things like smart ovens that are kind of coming out, you know, whether it's June or, or you know, sous vide doing like a kind of four-chamber kitchen robot. Um, last year, we had Instant Pot on there because really you could argue that the Instant Pot is the kind of the, the first cooking appliance of, the, of kind of this new generation, even though it is kind of like a, a pressure cooker reimagined with digital technology on it. But we um, we put Thermomix on this year, which is which was interesting to me in that it's a it's an expensive product, but they really were the first company like four or five years ago doing automated guided cooking using digital recipes, and they're a company that like is very popular in Europe with a very high price point, and they 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 announced a new generation product, the TM6. I, I know that a lot of chefs love the Thermomix. Yes. Um, I don't know if you have one. I've, I've used one. It's a great product. It is. It's kind of like an instant pot of steroids. It has like so many functions. You can cook, mix, cut. But um, so I think it's worth at least putting them on this year. They come out with a new generation every four or five years, and the TM6 really does kind of push them into the modern era. They were kind of um, doing as well as they could with an, a generation that they created like five years ago by doing add-ons. But this, the new TM6, is really kind of a modern. Uh, really kind of taking it to the next level. So we'll see where that goes. There's also a company called um, that we put on there called Dish Divi. Um, we've been we follow closely the developments around this idea of like cottage cooking and and this this law that was passed late last year in California called AB 626 that basically made cottage cooking and, and this idea of like selling food out, food out of your home legal in California. California tends to lead a lot of ways of what they do. Oftentimes, that dictates what other other cities and, and country or uh, states will often do. And I don't know if you heard of a company called Josephine. They ultimately went out of business, but the founders of that company really lobbied for this AB 626 to pass. And I'm actually really um, optimistic about this idea of like, this could be a potential next uh, opportunity for like people who are maybe economically disenfranchised, maybe need a job, but one thing they can do is cook. And, and AB 626 basically paves the way for that. And one of the two-sided marketplaces enabling that is a company called Dish Divi, a small little startup out of California. And that was one of the reasons we put them on there. So we'll see how they do, but that's one company I'll be watching. Okay. Well, so far, Amazon's the only one to make it back. So we'll see, I guess, if they have a three-peat. <laughs> we'll see. They'll have to really impress us to make it back a third time. How are they doing so far? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. They always like having a, like a news conference in the spring announcing new products. And I can always tell when something's going to be, I can kind of tell when I think something's going to come from them. Um, I think that uh, we'll probably see something new from them in the next couple months from a smart home perspective. And we'll see how they continue to do. Um, they ran into a little resistance, quite honestly. They were kind of on the forefront of uh, cashless payments. As you've seen in New York, as you've seen in certain other locations, there's been some real pushback um, because people think that that's economically disenfranchising people um, who, who not everyone could go cashless, as we know. And so they were smartly, smartly kind of pulled back on that a little bit. So not everything they do, like, is, it's pitch, is pitch perfect. There's always going to be some pushback. And I think that was one of the developments that we thought was interesting. So, Mike, this is a, a little bit off topic. But anybody who is a regular reader of The Spoon and, you know, just in the conversation that we're having now and the events that you curate, how do you consume all the information that you consume? Do you have any uh, reading app for us or how many newspapers, podcasts? Are you reading everything digital? How do you call 
all this information in real time? Because you, 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 know, you have a lot of different pieces of information floating around, and the spoon is a tremendous resource. There's a lot of stuff on there, and it's very up-to-date. How do you get through it all? Uh, it's really a curation of like number of different feeds. I really do rely on Google um, Google Alerts, which is pretty old school. Like it's something I feel like is probably 10, 15 years old now. But getting that kind of an email alert around keywords. Yes, you know, I've only I really used find- Google Alerts for I have Google Alerts for Tech Bytes and for my name and for things I'm you know doing business on and focused on in terms of that. But I've not done it. I've not utilized Google Alerts as a news feed. I also will say, this is like, we've almost like created our own kind of channel through which people will give us stories. And we, we created this thing called the Spoons Food Tech Slack. It's basically a Slack channel. We have like a, 1,100 members. People wow. read the Spoon. And uh, people will just say, hey, w- um, there's this story. Have you noticed it? Like people noticed something out there or they'll just, if they're a founder and they have something, some news they're going to announce, they'll oftentimes tell us. Um, and then this is going to sound like the most middle-aged old guy thing ever, but like I, I really do find like LinkedIn really valuable because a lot of founders will put their news on LinkedIn without even putting a press release out there. And oftentimes we'll get stories from there. So just like creating your and curating your own kind of connection network, the, the Slack, and then kind of just automated alerts through Google Words. The Slack channel is amazing. That's a great idea. And I have not really seen that in use by other organizations or other media. I've seen Slack used, of course, internally at businesses to communicate with each other or businesses to communicate with, you know, their clients or B2B or that kind of thing. But I've never seen it, you know, sort of public facing. It's, did you, was there a precedent for that? Did somebody, some brilliant person in your office, you come up with that or? Well, I mean, I'm a podcast listener and I know that, um, so I, I'm a fan of Gimlet Network, Gimlet Podcast, uh, Alex Bloomberg, and they they had a, a, a public facing Slack, and that really kind of got me first thinking about it. The information um, has had a public facing Slack, but really the genesis of our Slack is I had um, uh, a, a person, a woman named Grace, reach out to me via email and say, "Hey, do you guys know of any food tech Slacks?" And I said, "I don't know of any. Why don't we just create one?" And that was maybe uh, early 2018, um, and it's it's grown like I said, to about 1,100 or so users. One of the things we struggle with is just ca- kind of catalyzing conversation in there. What I find is interesting, we, you know, we have 1,100 members, but a lot of people just lurk. And I think that's the nature of, of like online forums. So um, we, we have to get in there and kind of drive the conversation a little bit sometimes. But like there is some really interesting conversations that happen. So I th- it, think it's worthwhile. I'm definitely a social media lurker. I I initially used Twitter as my own personal newsfeed, not posting quite a lot, but curating the list so I could keep track of different things. Instagram less so, um, a little bit, but definitely it's it's good to be in on those things just to see what's happening and and see the trends and information hop from one source to the next. It's kind of fascinating. Do you, when you first started it, did it? Were you obsessive about it? I could imagine sitting in front of it and like watching people join and watching people comment and just you know watching all the time. No, I mean it's it's fun when you start something and like there's kind of an initial rush. Like you know within a couple of days you had a couple hundred members, but like it's hot and cold, right? It depends. Like sometimes there's just like uh, some interesting conversations. One thing we've done 
uh, we basically kind of said, hey, let's do have a, an online Slack chat. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do that, where we basically had uh, experts come on and we moderated a, a conversation. We did it around CBD, um, and we also did one on food robotics. Uh, so we had, um, uh, for example, we had the CEO of Dishcraft come on and talk uh, uh, with Chris Albrecht about what's happening in the future of restaurant and food robotics. So, and that actually drove a lot of conversation. And we actually wrote a post about it. So I could send you, I could send you those links. But uh, it, it is a lot of fun to have that kind of uh, that community and to have interesting interactions with them through kind of moderated conversations. That's so much fun. I really like that. It's sort of a different version of when people do things on Facebook, when they broadcast on Facebook or go Facebook Live or Instagram Live or something like that. Yeah, or like a Twitter chat. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a Twitter chat with your Slack, which allows you to kind of go beyond the, the small limit of Twitter and have like mm-hmm. a bigger kind of mm-hmm. deeper conversation. So if people want to join your Food Tech Slack channel, how do they do that? Go to the spoon.tech. You'll see Slack in the, at the top. Just click on that and just fill out the form and we'll, we'll send you an invite. So you just, you'll, you'll fill out a form and we'll send you an invite. And that's really it. Fantastic. So we are really out of time. Um, we covered thespoon.tech. You can go. You can join the Slack channel. They have newsletters you can sign up for, podcasts you can listen to. They have a job board. They have links there to take you to the Smart Kitchen Summit which is great. Is there anything else that we're missing, Mike, that people need to know about the spoon and the summit? I think that's it. We have a podcast too called the smart kitchen show. Check it out. Uh, we have conversations uh, with interesting people as well. Fantastic. Where can people find that aside from your website? Are you on iTunes, Spotify? Yeah. All the usual podcast spaces. Just look for uh, smart kitchen show. Fantastic. And when is your next trip to New York City so we can get you actually in the booth and maybe eating some pizza? I think I might be there in July. So I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely come in and eat some pizza. That sounds great. Do you, do you have beer as well? We have. Well, have you been to the Heritage Radio studio? I haven't. I want to come. Okay. So Heritage Radio Network, in our 10th anniversary this year, Mind Which you, great. started in 2009 when Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn also opened. The radio station studio is actually two repurposed shipping containers that form an L. Yep. And we have a giant plate glass window that looks out onto one of the dining rooms of Roberta's. I'm watching a couple drink a sparkling Pinot somewhere and eating. They each they have his and her pizzas so that everybody got their own. And there's a full bar, full menu, and we can eat before or after, or sometimes we have pizza during the show. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank Mike Wolf from The Spoon for talking to us about the Food Tech 25. Turns out the future of food is here, and it's now. The future of, fu- <laughs> the future of food is also here on Tech Bites. The show on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. Our producer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song, Nomad CPU Track, is by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find him on SoundCloud and at venues in New York City. Get in touch with us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Find us on social media, techbyteshrn. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, your host and producer. 
Come back and see us next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.